The year is 1643. George is invited into a bar with his friends. They're all young, Christian young boys, and the drinking quickly escalates. One young man dares another to try to outdrink him, and soon the other boys are all part of the competition. George watches from his seat. He is disgusted by the behavior of the young men as they become more drunk and more rowdy. George stands up and walks out of the bar. As he hears the young men behind him, he feels a deep sense of loss and anger. These are the same boys who he saw in church on Sunday? What was the difference between them and the heathen? This incident was the start of a journey that would lead to a new denomination and eventually a new colony and a state in a country yet to be formed. Welcome back to Church History. My name is Laura Lee, and we're looking today at the start of the religious organizations known today as the Quakers. This episode starts around the same time as our episode about the Puritans. So if you want more context for this episode, listen to those episodes first. Before I continue, let me remind you to visit my website, lauraleesiemens.com. There are other podcasts and videos for you to check out there. In 1643, the English were in their second year of the Civil War. This was the year of the climax of the Civil War. The country was divided between those loyal to the king and those loyal to the parliament. The Catholics and the Anglicans hated each other, and they both hated the Puritans, who believed that both the Catholics and the Anglicans were corrupted by government control. So the day that George walked out of the bar, disgusted by his peers, there were many other things happening around him. Now, George never doubted God or the Bible. He doubted, however, that anyone had the right answers about God or the Bible. George left home and began a journey of wandering and praying. He spent time praying and asking God to help him know the truth. He felt that God was speaking to him directly, and that surprised him. Could God be speaking to him, a simple man? He was not a priest, not a pastor, not a lecturer. He didn't have massive amounts of education. He was just a guy, a guy who was confused. What George learned during this journey is that God is no respecter of persons, that each of us are equal in God's eyes, that he loves each of us and wants to use anyone who's willing to be used. During this journey, George began attending different churches looking for answers. He visited the Anglicans and the Catholics, and even visited secret Puritan churches. But he thought all of them were so rigid, so planned, and way too organized. Why was everyone listening to just one man at the front of the church? God could speak through any of the people in the church. Maybe they were missing a message from God. Maybe God had a message he wanted to deliver through someone sitting in the pews. He also saw that each of the church had leaders who would disappoint him, who would say one thing on Sunday, but just not follow it through the week. At one point, he said, and this is a direct quote, When all my hopes in them and in all men were gone, so that I had nothing outwardly to help me, 
nor could I tell what to do. Then, oh, then I heard the voice which said, There is one, even Christ Jesus, that can speak to thy condition. And when I heard it, my heart did leap for joy. George started a church called Society of Friends. In actuality, he didn't start a church because he didn't like the term church. He started a meeting house. Places for friends to meet and share with each other what God was teaching them. He made meeting houses look very different from churches. For one thing, pews were not all facing the front, but instead, pews were all around the room facing to the center of the meeting house, creating a circle. There would be no preacher. No one was planning on preaching. Instead, if anyone felt the inner light inside of them, telling them to speak, then they would speak. The interesting thing is that anyone could speak, rich or poor, man or woman. One of the things that happened is that some of the people in the meeting houses, when they would feel the inner light inside of them, would begin to quake. Literally, shake about and quake. This made people mock the group, and they got the nickname Quakers. Now, the group was called the Religious Society of Friends, but Quakers, well, that was a lot easier to say. So Quakers was the name that stuck. And soon, even those who were part of the Religious Society of Friends began to call themselves Quakers. The group began to grow quite quickly, and soon the Anglicans, Catholics, and Puritans had a common enemy. They all thought the Quakers were full of heresy. George was arrested and put in prison, but in prison he continued to preach, and soon he had made many converts in prison. George would go to prison six times in his life. Because the Quakers believed that every person was equal in God's eyes, they would treat every person equally. This, of course, was a great thing for women and the poor who were not treated as equals in society. However, the elitists did not like this at all. The Quakers refused to use separate terms for the high in society as the rest of the people did. One historian I listened to compared this to high schoolers who refused to call teachers by their last name and used their first name instead. While the reason behind the way the terms were used was to bring in equality, it came across as rude and disrespectful to the high and elitists in society. In 1666, an admiral sent his son William to Ireland to take care of the family's estate there. While William was in Ireland, he met a man named Thomas Lowe, who was a Quaker. And soon, Thomas Lowe convinced William Penn to join the Quakers. William Penn began to speak openly about his support of the Quakers. He also wrote books. In fact, he wrote 42 books about why the Quakers were correct in their theology. This did not go over well, and William Penn was put in prison. However, after serving seven years of prison, he still refused to stop speaking publicly about the Quakers' way of life and theology. Now, William's father, Admiral Penn, was very unhappy that his son was disgracing the family name. He was ashamed that his son was in prison. The day is August 14, 1670. You're standing in front of the meeting house on Grace Church Street, but you can't go inside. The government has padlocked the doors of the meeting house. The other friends are gathered outside of the church. In fact, there are hundreds of people standing around the locked meeting house. 
You just want to go inside and worship God the way you want. The crowd is growing and growing. There has never been this many people at the meeting house before. Then you see a man standing on top of a large pile of wood. You know who that is. That is William Penn. The crowd is silent and ready to hear him speak. After William Penn speaks, another man, William Meade, stands and speaks as well. While they are speaking, the king's men push their way through the crowd, and both men are arrested. Why are we being arrested? You hear William shout out. You are arrested for inciting a riot. There is no riot. We are peacefully meeting. There is no riot. You look around at the hundreds of people standing around. There is no riot. In fact, just a few minutes ago, the crowd had been completely quiet, listening to the men speak. Yet, the two men are arrested for starting a riot. The trial from that day was held in the Old Bailey Courthouse, and the jury refused to find them guilty. So, the Crown put the jury in prison for refusing to say that the two men were guilty of inciting a riot. Sir John Vaughan, who was the Lord Chief of Justice, had the jury released and told the judge, and this is a quote, You may try to open the eyes of the jurors, but you may not lead them by the nose. This court case is still studied in England. It's called the Bushells case. This case created the independence of the jury. From this point on, it was illegal for the judge to try and force a jury to say either guilty or innocent. This case made William Penn even more popular. But William, who was released knew that the Quakers needed to find a place where they could worship. He realized he would need to work with the elitists in society. So he reconciled his relationship with his father. He also began to visit the court on a regular basis and became friends with King Charles II and the Duke of York. Now, the Duke of York would eventually be given the colony of New Amsterdam and would name it New York. We talked about him a little bit in previous episodes. Admiral Penn died in 1670, and William Penn inherited all of his father's wealth. That included debt that the crown owed his family. William Penn saw this as an opportunity to give the Quakers what he believed they needed, a place to worship freely. By this point, William had married and had had eight children, although only four of them survived childhood. He had also worked as a missionary for the Quakers, spreading the message in Holland and Germany. The Quaker movement had grown very large in the Dutch and German areas. William visited the king and told the king he would erase his debt to the Penn family if the king gave him a colony in the Americas. The king was very happy to do this because it would mean, one, the Quakers would leave England, and two, he would have a great part of his debt erased. So the king gave a colony to William Penn, and he named the colony the Latin term for Penn's Woods or Pennsylvania. Once arriving in the new colony, William did not just tell the native people that he now owned the land by decree of the king. Instead, he used his wealth and paid the natives for their land and also told them they were free to live peacefully with the people. The Quakers settled in Pennsylvania and the English, Dutch, and German Quakers moved to this new area where they could live together in peace. George Fox, the founder of the Quakers, died in 1690 after a short illness. Twenty years later, William Penn had a stroke, 
In the last few years of his life, he was unable to work or really even think properly. He died in 1718. Even today, the Quakers meet in meeting houses instead of churches. They still have their seating in a circle format, and they still allow anyone to speak. There is very little quaking still happening. Over the years, many Quakers have been part of shaping our world. For example, Elizabeth Fry in the late 1700s and early 1800s campaigned for better conditions in prisons and set up charities for homeless people and the poor. John Cadbury in the 1800s founded Cadbury's Chocolate. That, of course, is very important. But he also created a model housing estate for all of his workers, giving them good housing to live. He also had campaigns about cruelty to animals and started a society called the Animals Friend Society. Susan B. Anthony, in the late 1800s into the early 1900s, was a very important person in helping women gain the vote in the United States. And President Hoover, who served as President of the United States from 1929 to 1933 during the Great Depression. These were all Quakers. This is the history of the Quakers. Next week, we're going to continue this time period of church history. Make sure you subscribe, and if you could leave a review, that would be really helpful. Until next time, while you're waiting, you can visit my website, lauraleesiemens.com. See you next week.